Hey everybody, this is Tyson Perez with the One Degree Podcast. The difference in water and steam is one degree. One degree is a small change that can make a big difference. Join me as I interview a new athlete every week and hear what they did to get to where they are and what that one degree difference was for them. Welcome into the newest episode of the One Degree Podcast with special guest Mark Appel. In 2013, Mark was the first overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft after playing four years at Stanford University. He is making a comeback in 2021 after three years away from the game. He is one of the best, most humble guys I've ever met, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. If you do, please give it a share. Also, go follow us at One Degree TP on Instagram or go to OneDegreeTP.com for more information and more episodes. Mark, thanks for joining me, buddy. How are you? Man, I'm doing well. How are you, Tyson? It's been been a few years. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. We were we were just talking about the about the craziness of the of the stock market with with uh, GameStop and everything. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me let me press the record button first. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Have you have you been following along with it? Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been wild. Uh, I mean, just you know, I was actually um, kind of in the pandemic you know, took a little bit of money and was just trying to pick stocks. And I've been doing that for probably six or eight months now. And I was looking at it like two weeks ago, it was $30. And I was like, you know what, you know, they're talking about maybe going out of business, going bankrupt. But um, one of the things was that the guy who like runs Chewy. Uh, I saw that I he bought it or he, he put in, he got yeah, like, he owns like 10%, 10%, 10% now. Yeah. He took the board of directors, three board of directors. Five. I'm like, you know what? maybe worth the flyer. I didn't yeah. pull the trigger on it. And man, I wish I did. Cause, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, just everything that ha- has happened the last couple of days. And then today, especially with Robin hood shutting down the, the buy orders and, mm-hmm. um, basically just like, how bad is that? Like in your opinion, you're a very, very smart guy, very, very smart with your money. In your opinion, how do you feel about what they did? Like, and not just Robin hood, all of the big, all of like the big institutes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't want to talk too much about it, but I don't have any problem with hedge funds, short selling stocks that they think are overpriced, right? Like these hedge fund managers, all they are trying to do is just make money for their clients. Right. And so they try to find opportunities just like anyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. They just have, usually they just have a machine that's working for them because they are, handling so much money that this machine yeah and shorting all the- and shorting stocks is that's there's nothing illegal about that like shorting stocks you're like no, like no. We, we like like i could short bitcoin cryptocurrency we can short yeah. stocks whatever there's nothing wrong with that but for them not allowing people to buy more of it right. and just saying like you know f the little guy we're gonna we're gonna take care yeah. of you know, like our our billionaires that's what everybody's just blowing up about do you yeah. do you feel the same way about it yeah i mean I'm, I'm a fan of free markets. And so, um, you know, you've had situations in the past where retail investors have really gotten hurt by making, you know, crazy bets or anything like that. But like at the end of the day, it's not the broker's job to determine what a retail investor can and can't do. Exactly. Everyone needs to be responsible for their own actions and deal with the consequences. If you want to bet a hundred thousand dollars on GameStop, at $300 a share that it's going to go to a thousand dollars. You can do that. It's not the wisest decision, but you are allowed to do that. And 
I think what what happened when they shut down the buy orders and it went from you know 480 to 150 in the span of like 30 minutes. I mean, I, I think it was just an atrocious like in, infraction of the free yeah. markets, and, and I'm is. not a fan it, of that. Yeah, it's not fair too, especially people out there that you know have put in the work to learn about the stock market, you know, like for themselves, you like yeah. done the education, all that stuff, you know, trade on the, on the small apps, whether it's a couple hundred bucks, a couple thousand bucks, whatever it is. And then somebody that just you like, or like a, a huge head fund, hedge fund that has tons of money can just do that. And then pretty much like say, I don't know, like, like screw you. We can't lose any more money because we are the ones that actually control all of this. And people have been going off on it. Like oh, Dave yeah. Portnoy from Barstool Sports has just been going off. And yeah. he says he's not stopping until they're in jail or they're yeah. like done because that is like just but wrong. That yeah. this just proves why people don't like big government, why people don't like big banks, like all of that stuff, because this stuff happens. Yeah. And and I don't I don't think it's you know, it's not, I don't know, like the, the issue, you know, one of the other issues is that all the people that are trading on Robinhood, especially, you know, because that seems to be the biggest one. It's like, Hey, we're for the people, all this stuff, right? The average age of the investor on Robinhood is 31 years old. Yeah. These that's are, why it's named Robinhood. Yeah. Take from the rich, give to the poor. Right. And it's doing the opposite today. And they kind of showed their colors in that, but, um, essentially these are these like reading through just forums and the reddit threads and all that stuff it's like these are these are people that came into they came into the job market right after the financial crisis and so they're going home they're watching the big short and they're like these hedge fund managers these bank executives these are the the wall street elite they've got hundreds of millions of dollars on their personal accounts they they're managing billions and billions of dollars of other people's money and they like they came out scot free like they they no one went to jail no one and the government bailed them out right and so now it's like if you know that you have the US government on your side bailing you out if something goes really wrong it's like you're going to start taking more and more and more risk mm -hmm. and so of course they're going to you know there's 140% of the outstanding shares are shorted on GameStop and all these reddit you know, retail investors are like, this is an opportunity to kind of, in, you know, other terms, like give the middle finger to the big banks. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, uh, well, and that's it too. Personal. And it's not, it's really they, personal. Honestly, they just, they just outsmarted them because they knew what they were doing. You know, like shorten the stock, shorten the stock. And, and, and for those of you who don't know what, what shorting the stock is, and Mark can probably explain it a little bit better than me, but it's pretty much you're betting on the stock to go down. And then what you get in return is the stock at a lower price. So then you get more of the stock for the same amount of price that you put in pretty much. So like what these, what these guys on Reddit did, they, they went in and they saw this, they keep shorting the stock, shorten the stock. Let's like all at once or whatever it is, buy the stock. We're going to, we're going to buy game stock. It's going to go up a little bit. And now it forces all these, you know, big, um, hedge fund people and like all, all, all the manager money managers, they have to buy back in at a higher price because they want to cut their losses. And then when they do buy back in, it's going up, it's going up, it's going yeah. up, going up, you know, like skyrocketing. So yeah. nothing, nothing wrong happened. Nothing like 
illegal happening. Collusion. There not, was it's not no illegal. collusion, no manipulation, nothing. Like yeah. this is just how the stock market goes. And it's actually these you know, like smaller men and, and, and women that are investing are just using the tricks that the big, big corporations have yeah. used to make more money and maximize their profit. They're using it against them. There's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. This is, this is why like life, America, the world, the stock market money is like great. Like, because yeah. you're allowed to do this, but then you can't go around and just say, nah, 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 cut you guys yeah. off. F you. Come on. I heard I heard a Portnoy use an example uh, today where he talked about it's like it's like you go forward on fourth down and you don't get it they give you two more downs yeah it's like at the end of the that, game and you're losing oh don't worry we're gonna throw twenty more minutes back on the clock yeah it's like that that just it, yeah it's 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 pretty crazy uh, people are calling for heads to roll right now and you know I'm I'm just watching and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see because there's there's a lot of pushback happening um people don't like it and it's opening a lot of people's eyes you know like the 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 last couple of days have kind of shown what's really been happening yeah. um and then people are seeing it and it's and it's not right yeah some people just have too much power um i mean it is what it is you, we can get we can get talking about yeah. that anyways yeah, sure. but i've had a lot of people that uh that i've helped out cuz i because uh, they've been asking me about like Bitcoin. Are you into Bitcoin at all? Do you own any Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, I, I got some Bitcoin. Uh, when did you get in? When did you get in? I want to know. What's that? When did you get into Bitcoin? Is that 10,000? Yes, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. My man. So I got, when I uh, uh, first went to Mexico, I um, I was playing indie ball. And you don't really make any much, you don't make any money because yeah. it's, indie ball it's literally yeah, like yeah. it's literally the minor leagues like you don't make and then so i was there for like a month and uh mexico uh, tijuana just kept like throwing more money at me throwing more money at me i was like i was like f it i'll go so i went and i was i was shocked like you know how many ex big leaguers like how many legit players are playing in that league it's awesome and a lot of them have 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 made a lot of money still have a lot of money and they were uh, talking about Bitcoin. And this is when it was around like $6,000. Yeah. It would, this was 2018. So it had just came down from its, from its all time high. And they were like talking about it, how they, how they had a couple, whatever it was. So like I started doing some research, wanting to get into it. Didn't really know much. And I just, I just kind of started chipping away like from there. And then like to 2019 in the summer, just chipped away, chipped away until I had like a little bit over one Bitcoin yeah. averaged down to, you know, like, I don't know, $7,500 for one Bitcoin. And then Boom. bam. Yeah. You, you know what I did though? That was actually smart. When Bitcoin went up, I took some pro profits, yeah. switched it down to um, Ethereum when it was about 600. Yeah. Look at Ethereum now. Yeah. So now all of my friends are coming. Hey, like, how do I get into Bitcoin? What app do you use? All this stuff. I'm like, man, I don't want to give any financial advice because I did you know, like a, a lot of research on my own. I feel like that's what you should do too. Yeah. Don't just think that you're going to make a lot of money. Like I did a lot of research on this, put in some time. I, you know, like I lost some money, made yeah. some dumb mistakes, whatever it is, but people have been texting. So like, I, I just, I just tell them what I did. And then yesterday we were talking about that, you know, like the whole GameStop deal. And then also like AMC and that, uh, um, Nokia's supposed yeah. to blow up and all this stuff. So one of my buddies just texted me. He goes, uh, "Buy Nokia right now. You'll thank me later." 
<laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, I was like, because I've, I've made him a lot of money when it comes to cryptocurrency. Like I, I, I told him like that, like I switched. So he just kind of followed what I did and he has a lot more in than I do. So he's just like, whatever I say, he thinks is like gold now. So, <laughs> Tyson, the financial guru, which I'm not at all. Like yeah, I hate yeah. people. I hate giving ad advice because I just don't feel like no, because it's, it's like worth it, right? Like if you give bad advice, yeah. yeah. I mean, so so he's trying to return the favor for me to buy Nokia, and it was at like seven fifty yesterday. I was like, I don't know about this, dog. I don't know about this. I did it, and then that that fell down to four. And like, yeah, I'm I'm happy that I didn't get involved in any of this stuff that happened yesterday. It's wild. It is wild, man. All right. Anyways, enough about that. Enough about us just being rich in stocks and bitcoins. But let's get into this. Let's get into some baseball. Let's get into some Mark Appel action. So, uh, um, so what have you been up to the past couple of years? You kind of uh, okay. So, so for those who don't know, me and Mark played together for a few years. Lived together. This is one of the nicest, best people I've ever met in my life. Humblest, just awesome guy. All right. Like, let's just, let's just put that out there. Me and you have been friends for, for a long time. Um, yeah, I, want, I think, I think I first met you in like 2014. It was my first full season and it was your first full season. It was my third year in freaking high A. So we, <laughs> we were like kind of totally different paths, but we met right there in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then I think again back in Fresno. Uh, yep, it was great. Fall we, league too. Played in the fall league. Yeah, lived fall together league. in the fall league. Yeah, that I I always remember that August August of 2015 in Fresno, where we won like 28 out of 30 games. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, won the national championship. I don't really like that time because that's when I had Tommy John. That was yeah. That was yeah. tough, but that was fun. That was that was some of the most fun I've ever had. I was playing in my hometown. Yeah. Um, winning the national championship. Uh, you know, I went to the went to the all-star game, just just had a blast. So I would I wouldn't trade that for anything. I actually wish that I would enjoyed playing at at home more off more than I did. Because I was so focused. You know, everybody is when you're in the minor leagues, you pretty much have like blinders on. Right. You're just focused on like on like one thing. So it's easy for me to look back and say that I wish that I would have enjoyed it more. But if I would have enjoyed it more, I I probably wouldn't have had the the season that I had, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's that balance of, of kind of enjoy, enjoying kind of what you're doing and, and getting into other things outside of the game versus mm -hmm. focusing. You know, it, it takes a lot of, a lot of kind of focus and mental energy. It is. And, oh, it is. And you've had to deal well, with, you've had to deal with, and I'm just going to straight up say it, you had to deal with a lot of shit way more than any other baseball player in the history. I'm talking like you, you've, you've had to deal with more shit than like big leaguers or somebody making a mistake in the world series because like one, you did, you had to take all this while you were in the minor leagues struggling with the rest of everybody. But since you're Mark Appel, you were the number one pick in the draft that you're supposed to be different than your peers, which one, I know that you always thought this, that it was like a, a slap in the face of your teammates, you know, guys like me, other people that you played with, because you're getting all the attention and, and, and all this stuff, w whether you did good or bad, and your teammates don't get anything. And you feel that you're the same as them, just on the grind in the minor leagues, just because you were the number one overall pick didn't mean anything. We're, we're, we're all in the same boat. Um, so yeah. for you all around, what was your minor league experience like? 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. Um, I think, I think depending on who you talk to, um, I think a lot of the people that don't know me, um, probably misunderstand me because there was a lot that was said about me and, and a lot that I went through. Right. And so even in college, I, I went back to school my senior year and i I was drafted by the Pirates my junior year, eighth overall pick, and I went back and turned down a lot of money. And people had things to say about that, you know, and, and they make, you know, people can have opinions, but, you know, when you start making judgments about someone's character, it's, 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 it's hard to, you know, get outside of that. And what I had to learn was to not really care about other people's opinions other than the people that are in my circle. And, you know, I, I kind of have like a small circle is my family, right? And then a, a larger circle that are the people that, you know, I, I, I go to on a regular basis and I try to maintain these friendships. And then the, lar you know, the next circle is, is my teammates and my coaches and people in the organization. And then the next circle is like everyone else, right? And so, yeah, you, you basically learn how to kind of tune out the noise and focus on the things. And, and in the locker room, you know, I, I'd like to think I had the respect of my teammates. I, I, I showed up. I mean, there are some, some days where I was really struggling and probably wasn't the best teammate, but I'd try to show up every day. I try to respect everyone on the team. I try to work as hard or harder than everyone else. I try to push others to be better. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I, I mean, I really did see myself as, you know, just one of the guys, but at the same time, because of where I was drafted, um, and because of the, you know, the potential and kind of the expectation that was placed on me, you know, when reporters come in, you know, they want to talk to me when, you know, other, you know, executives come in, they are, you know, I remember like Doug White would be in Lancaster and he's there to see everyone, but he's only spending time with me. And, and Doug White, he was the, uh, he was the roving pitcher and yeah. pitching roving, instructor yeah. for the At Astros. The time, yeah. He was, yeah. Roving pitching coordinator. And, and so he'd come in and, uh, you know, and, and so there was just a, a, a huge focus on me, which was understandable because of the investment that the ownership made into kind of into my career. Um, but on one side, I was, I was thankful for it. But on the other side, I, I wouldn't say I resented it, but I, I wish that it wasn't like that because it's almost like your blessing was a curse at the yeah, same when, time. Like when you're struggling and you know that you're struggling and then all the coaches are trying to tell you something different to like fix you. Like it's really, really hard to kind of get out of your head and just go and, and feel the freedom to fail you know, and feel the freedom to just try your best and not succeed and get up and, and try again. But they uh, don't allow that. You know, like first, first round picks and stuff, it's uh, especially when you're coming out of college, it's like they don't even really allow you to fail. Like right. you have like one bad game. All these people are like, what's wrong? Is he hurt? We got to fix this. We got to fix that. And it's, and it's bad. Like yeah. you need to learn how to fail and then learn how to pick yourself back up and make yourself better on your own. You yeah. can't have 14 different people trying to fix you, but you know, like a late round guy, they're almost expected to fail because they're not really supposed to make it and they don't really care. And those guys are the ones that end up being some of the best players in the game because they learned how to fail and they just kept working. They kept working. They kept learning. They kept learning and they did it on their own without getting three or four different voices coming at them. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and sometimes you like, if you just focus on the why of like, why am I failing? You start to see yourself as a failure and, and you don't actually get to the point where you can actually work on those things. Like sometimes if you have a bad game, you just need to wash it and come to show and like never think about it again. But what happens is you show up, you watch the video, the coaches are walk, walking, walking you through everything. You're looking at mechanics. You're saying, oh, wow, this doesn't look the same. This doesn't look the same. I have so much wrong and so much that I need to fix. When sometimes you just need, hey, just wash it. You're a good enough athlete to, to figure it out and just get back on the mound, do it again, give it your best shot. Um, and so there was that side of things in my minor league experience. And then there was also the physical ailments that I was, that I was feeling. And, you know, slowly over the years from 2014 to 2015, and then finally in 2016, my elbow started developing like bone spurs. And um, it was never something that was like prevented me from like throwing or being even being able to throw hard, but it slowly started like leading to compensations and my command started to, uh, to decrease, get worse. My velocity went down. Um, but I, I, I felt this obligation and kind of this expectation. It's like, I can't get hurt. I'm, you know, <laughs> I know the Astros are expecting a lot of me. And so I want to do right by them. They've given me a lot of money. And, and so I want to I be able to honor that commitment that they made to me by providing and, and doing what I need to do on the field. And, uh, and so going on the shelf wasn't an option for that, especially once I started like struggling and, and in 2015, that's the first full year that I like didn't play, uh, or didn't go on the, on the DL. And that was the like year where my elbow started really, really hurting. And I ended up having surgery in 2016 after I got traded to the Phillies. And through those years, I started developing a lot of bad habits and my mechanics and things like that, that ultimately led to shoulder injuries, um, which, which I experienced while I was with the Phillies. And so, you know, it, it, it was this combination of, man, what, when I look back, I'm like, what went wrong? Well, I think there were a lot of things that went wrong and what could I have done better? I think there were a lot of things that I could have done better. Um, but there was an aspect of, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, um, man, if anyone ever accuses me, like you can say whatever you want about my performance, but if anyone ever accuses me that I didn't care or I wasn't sincere in trying to, to write the ship and, and, and figure out how to be a successful baseball player in the, in, you know, in the minor leagues and ultimately make it up to big leagues, like you just don't know me. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's like, I, I honestly look back at all those times with, um, yeah, with, with a lot of like just joy um, being on this side of it. Like a lot of the things I experienced there have shaped me to be the man who I am today. Um, I've gotten to learn how to not like bow down to the people's, you know, other people's opinion of me, um, which is hard when you're a people pleaser and you want other people to like you, you know? And, um, and I've learned just, I think I've learned patience. I've learned um, an aspect of resilience um, for me, faith is, is a huge part of my life. And, um, I've, I've learned more about God in those years than, than I ever did in my first, you know, 22 of my life. And, um, and so there, there's just so many 
like great, great things that came from it. And I like, I'm so thankful I went through it all. Um, but from the world's perspective, it's like, it's a, it's a failure story, you know? Yeah. And that's it too, is I just, like, I want people to understand like, like the real person that you are, because very few people actually got to meet you and be around you for the majority of the time that your teammates did, you know, like me and and, and some of the other guys that we played with. And, we all heard it too, you know, even, even from your teammates, you know, like everybody's going to do that. Like when you're a a top pick and you're struggling, it's easy to point out that that person's struggling because it makes you feel better about yourself too, you know, because like, Oh, like if the one, one struggles, we struggle, like it actually makes us feel a little bit better. Um, And that you're not like this guy that like didn't care. Like you, like you said, and I think that you just had to endure a lot more stuff than the average player. And it just, it was almost like a, a snowball effect. One, you had to, you had to play in Lancaster, which I did too, which now it's not even a team anymore because yeah. nobody wants to send their, their people there. And that's where it started for you living in the desert, struggling, like all this, all this crazy stuff. And it's just, it's just hard. And people don't really know who you are and you're, you're an awesome guy. And, yeah, it is what it is. Anyways, let's get let's get into the college days. Why'd you why'd you choose Stanford? Because you're not from California, you're actually from uh, Texas, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of a hybrid kid. Uh, I I grew up. I was born here in Houston and grew up. Um, first twelve years of my life were were here, and then uh, my dad took a job uh, with uh, Chevron, and they're headquartered in the East Bay, and so. Going into seventh grade, I actually moved. I was in California, over in the East Bay, and so uh, it 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 just turned out that you know Stanford was an hour fifteen away from our house, and so recruiting wise, like I was not the top guy, and even in my high school, like coming out, like we had some really good players, and then that whole region uh, has an inc- like just an incredible talent pool. And, uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many pitchers even went to like big D one or PAC 12 schools, um, just in, in our like at little athletic conference over there. And so, uh, you know, I, I never saw myself as someone that was like, Oh, the top recruit coming out of high school. Um, and I think just because of geography, like being able to go to Stanford, you know, that was I had no control over that. You know, if I was in Houston, I doubt Stanford would have re- recruited me. Like I just wasn't that good of a player. Uh, I, I I got better, you know, leaps and bounds every year, but I was kind of a late bloomer. And so uh, Stanford for me was like the best combination of academics and athletics. Um, you know, I had really good grades in, in high school um, being the son of, of an attorney uh, you know, my dad kind of instilled in me and my brother, just like a, a work ethic on the intellectual side, you know, getting good grades in school. Um, and that's, that's even maintained, even though no one's grading me on the things it's like, I, I still love learning and I still love kind of expanding my horizons as far as, you know, the world and, and kind of what's going on in the world, how to understand what's going on and, and, just learning about different subjects that are interesting to me, things like that. So, uh, yeah, Stanford was like the best combination, you know, I could think of. It was the top of my list. And, and when Coach Marquis 
offered me a scholarship, you know, it was conditional that I get accepted. But once I got accepted, it was like, easy, I'm, I'd love to go there. Um, and, and to me, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. Yeah. I mean, Stanford is, everybody knows Stanford as a, a really, a really good school, one, one of the most prestigious schools that you can go to, to get a, a, a degree, but they're also a powerhouse in almost every single sport. And it's rare for a school to be such a, you know, people would call it a, a difficult school to get into or a, a, you know, like a tough education to get whatever, but at the same time to be good at, at athletics and, and all that stuff, it just shows like how great of a human that you have to be to go there okay. and like play a sport. Cause you gotta be smart. You have to have good grades and you have to be an athlete in that same time. You like, once you're there, you have to bust your ass in the, yeah. in the, in the classroom study and then at the same time, you're there to pretty much play a sport at yeah. also because they're, you know, helping you with your education and, and yeah. everything. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they help, they help you out. I mean, just like most other schools where, you know, student athletes are, are like pretty, you know, prevalent. Uh, they, they provide tools with, you know, study, study guides and tutors and um, all sorts of things kind of in the academic world. Uh, and, and really, you know, Stanford, you know, people always said like the hardest part about Stanford is getting in. And, uh, you know, once you're there, um, the professors try to do a really good job of like, they want you to succeed. And so like, if you fail a class, you know, no one's looking at the student and saying, oh, why did this kid fail? They're looking at the professor and being like, what are, what are they doing that, like, how can they better teach these kids? Because most, basically every kid that's there is pretty motivated to, to learn something or do something, you know, um, interesting or, or exciting, you know, in life. And so, um, like the motivation isn't really the factor for the kids, the students at Stanford. It's, um, it's just being able to get through kind of the work and learn how to manage your time and, and things like that. But, uh, yeah. You yeah. learn a lot of life skills going there and stuff, Definitely. not just sports, not just, you know, being the book. Why, why did you stay for your senior year? You know, some people say that you wanted to stay so that you graduated. Some people say that you wanted to be one, one. What was, <laughs> what was the reason why you stayed? I wasn't concerned about being one, one. Um, there were, even after my junior year, we lost, uh, we lost pretty badly to Florida state and it, it stung we were in the super regionals and, um, I had a really bad game and, uh, you know, I felt like I let my team down and I'm like, man, this was, this is the year. Like we should, we should be going to Omaha, all this stuff. Right. And so, so that was, that was kind of my end, you know, I had already been drafted at that point. And then it was like, all right, I've got six weeks or eight weeks to make this decision. And as I was just kind of thinking about that, um, I just realized that there were, I just felt like I had unfinished business left at Stanford. And, um, I also knew it'd be great to have my degree and not worry about having to go back. Um, and then, you know, the only, the only concern was like from a financial standpoint, you know, the question is, well, can I, can I do better than what is currently being offered to me? And, uh, and for me, that was probably the lowest concern of, of any of any of them, but you're, you're able to, you know, 
purchase like insurance policies and <laughs> do all sorts of other things. Like I'm thankful, you know, my dad, um, is a really bright guy and, and, um, you know, he, he kind of knew where to go and, and what to do. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we just kind of made it work. But, um, for me, it's like, man, if I, if I made, you know, a 10th of what the pirates were offering me, I still would have had confidence that that was the right decision. It, it wasn't about the money. It was about just hopefully being able to get to go to Omaha, um, kind of get to be a leader on the team another year and, um, and, and, and then be able to finish my degree. So. Did you, did you take an insurance policy out on yourself? Uh, kind of yeah, like, uh, kind of like clowning did probably not like, you know, like as big as him, but yeah, yeah. No, did you? No. It was, yeah. It, the, the insurance world is, is pretty strange, but, um, long story short, yes, I did. Um, you know, fortunately I was able to borrow money from my dad, um, which I was able to pay him back obviously the next year. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, you, you pay the premium up front and then if it was, it was a, um, it's kind of it was called a, like a loss of value insurance policy. So it's like you, you set a value and, and basically whatever, if for whatever reason, if you get hurt or something like that and, and you don't make as much money in the, you know, in the draft, um, the insurance policy would kind of cover the difference cover a little bit negotiated. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, but honestly, like I, I would have, I would have felt fine even if I didn't have the insurance policy, like if I didn't have the insurance policy and if I got hurt and I lost everything money wise, like I still would have been so like happy with the decision, you know? Yeah. That uh, kind of brings up a, brings up a good question for you. Like in, in your mind is, is money important? Because this is, this is like a, like it's kind of could be like a loaded question or answer because everybody knows money is very, very important without money. You, you, you can't do anything. Right. Um, but you, when you were drafted, um, you know, it was a record signing bonus at the time, obviously a, a lot of money. I'm not saying anything that nobody doesn't know. You can literally Google it. Like it's, 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 it's like nothing crazy, but in your opinion, how, what is, what is the importance of money to you? Yeah. I mean, you obviously need money to do things, right. To live, to eat, to breathe, you know, to like, it, there, there's just so many things that, um, that money provides for me. It's more about, um, like, are you, a, are you a slave to money or is money your slave essentially? And, um, and, and part of that comes down to your identity and, and you can get kind of deep in the philosophy of all. These no, things. no, no. This but, is, this is good stuff. I love this stuff. Yeah. But it, it's like, it's like, who are you? What are you about? And, um, are do you want to work for money or do you want money to work for you? Right. And, mm -hmm. and when I say money to work for you, I'm not talking about, Oh, get money and then put it in the stock market and it'll work for you and it'll make you more money. No, I'm talking about, what are the things that you care about? What are the things that are important to you? Um, what are the things that you like? Yeah. What like, makes you happy? What makes you yeah. better at your job? Like, you know, some people like to have a, you know, like a, a fancy car because it makes them feel better at their job. It makes them feel like they can like yeah. conquer anything. Some people don't care about cars. They still drive the same car and they got billions of dollars in the bank. It's Absolutely. just ev everybody's different. That's right. And, and so, you know, it, it, 
for me, yeah, money, money is important, but it's not like the thing that I care about or I think about every day. Like I can't take it with me when I go, um, you know? And so like, if there's a cause that I care about, it's like, and I have, and I have everything that I need. I have more than I need. And, and so it's like, I, I'm content and sure. Like there's opportunities to make more money. And, and those may be things that like spark my interest, but it's not about the bottom line return. It's about how, how do I understand myself and how do I feel like God is using me in this world? And if it turns out to be profitable, then, then that's great. But if not, you know, and, and that's, you know, and we haven't gotten to it, but you know, that's kind of why I'm like wanting to play baseball again is because I love baseball. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people think that I w- was just trying to do it to make a lot of money. It's like, well, here Matt, you know, I'm, I'm gearing up for a minor league season where I'm going to be making, you know, $10,000 this year. And it's funny because you've made, and, and me myself too, more in Bitcoin this past few months than we made <laughs> our entire minor league career. That's yeah. how, like, like, like I would make more money in my, uh, off-season job in like two months than I would make during a six-month minor league salary. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 wild. I think you like driving for DoorDash, you could probably make more money. Oh, yeah. You yeah. can make money. I mean, like, you know, anybody can make money. You can go down, sit on the street and make money. You know, like yeah. it's it really doesn't matter. Money can't rule your life. Like, yeah, just like you said, it's crazy. Yeah. I got a I got a kind of a tough question for you here, and I want to hear your answer because you're a very, very smart guy. So obviously when you signed, signed for a lot of money, would you trade all that money, your entire signing bonus for a different minor league experience? And then like, you know, trade that to eventually be into the big leagues right now? No, no. Like I know everyone, everyone, you know, comes to a point where they're like, you know what? I'm so thankful for everything that I went through and, and all this stuff. And, um, yeah, I think some people are genuine about that. Some people, like if they're being honest, would be like, yeah, I kind of wish things turned out differently in my life. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful. Um, you know, one of the things that I think, I, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned over my minor league career and, and in the years after is just the value of relationships. And so like if my, you know, the scenario where everything's different. It's like, you know, like, man, I don't know. Like I could have burned a lot of bridges and I could have just been kind of the egotistical, like first overall pick, isolate myself, be like, I, I don't deserve to be here. All this stuff, try to get to the big leagues as quick as I can, you know, grab, grab money, grab fame, popularity, all those things. But it's like, man, I wouldn't have the relationships that I have. This is very important because a lot of successful people, I, I know Joe Rogan talks about this, how one of the one of like the biggest currencies is your relationship with others. Like yeah. it's, it's not money. Like it's the relationships you build. If you build the correct relationships, you're going to be able to have money. You're going to be able to have, have whatever you want. Like um, I forget who it was, but it was like, you know, some like multi-billionaire. They said that if they asked them if they had lost everything, would they be able to get what they had back. They said, yes, for sure. And they asked him what, what you would do. He said, like, I would go and hang out with people that were making a lot of money and like have had success. And it would just like wear off on me because, because you build the relationships and that to a lot of people. And, and to me also is 
one of the most important currencies there is. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, I think the most important thing is, is relationships, you know, um, buddy, buddy, I won't name his name, but he's still playing and he was just kind of struggling, uh, through the minors and had some injuries and stuff like that. And this was right when I left and, you know, we were, we were just talking and kind of building our friendship. And I was like, man, the most important thing in the world is, is relationships. And so I know you're not enjoying where you're at right now, but there are people around you that are maybe hurting or there are people that um, you might have an opportunity to impact and to love in a way that could change their life. And that will mean more, way more, not only for, you know, what I believe like the rest of our lives, but in eternity, like that's going to mean way more because, you know, this is, this is like people's lives. It's their souls. It's their identities. It's, it's who they are um, as opposed to what they can give you or provide for you, you know? And, uh, and when you, when you approach relationships um, with a non-transactional view of things, you start to get to know people for who they are and what they're about. Um, and, and man, it'll really change, change your life because not only do you get to see the, you know, the beauty and how God has made so many people in this world, but you get to learn more about yourself because they're going to start asking you questions and, and a true friendship is going to develop there to where it doesn't matter your status in life, whether you're in the big leagues or not. I mean, there, there are a lot of guys that I, I try to keep in touch with after I was done that, you know, just never kept in touch with me. They wouldn't re return my phone calls and they were in the big leagues and just like, man, that's tough, you know? Um, but, but it's just, you know, like ultimately not wanting to get to a point where it's like, you know, and I'm not saying that they, they kind of looked at me as like, Hey, Mark may be able to provide something for me in the future. And then once I'm out of the game, it's like, all right, Mark has no value to me anymore. You know, I'm not saying that, um, but it could be that I don't, I really don't know. Um, but you know, I, I just want to approach my relationships with like a sincerity and a purity of heart towards that person that they aren't someone who can give me something, but they are someone who is like deeply um, loved by God, who is created by God and therefore has an incredible amount of worth, more worth than they probably know. Um, and if I can, if I can approach every relationship or even people at the store or anything like that with that mentality, it's like, I don't really care what I have, where I'm at, you know, how much money I have or how little money I have. If I have a roof over my head, if I have food to eat, it's like, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like the difference in like living your life, like joyful and, and being, being joyful and having joy versus like living it half happy. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, Matthew McConaughey, he's freaking awesome. If you, if you guys don't really follow him or you think that he's like dumb because of kind of the roles that he played, this guy is sharp. Matthew McConaughey is one of the sharpest people that we have. And he, he says that happiness is a, a, a emotional response to an outcome. So it's like, if I get this, if I do that, then I'll be happy. If this, then I'll be happy. That's different. Like, that can change all the time. Like people are always trying to find happiness, but yeah. living joyful, like is different waking up every single day and like actually being happy instead of looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, 
there's an aspect of joy that has is tied to hope. And so it's like, like we've all been there when, when it's been like just seemingly a really hopeless situation and it's been depressing. And like those moments and those seasons are when joy is like just totally stripped and you just really can't find it anywhere. And even, even if you win the game or you, you do the best or you guys win the championship, like, yeah, you might be happy that night and you're like, wow, this is great. But man, when, when that joy is, is totally absent in your life, it's, 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 it's tough. And, and I think that joy is so tied to hope and what you place your hope in um, ultimately leads to the amount of joy that you have. And so if you place your hope in being a millionaire someday, or you place your hope in getting to the big league someday, right? The, the amount of joy that you will experience is the, um, is kind of directly correlated to the prospects of what you hope for will happen. Right. And so when things are going great, right. And your and your hope is to make it to the big leagues, when things are going great, you're going to experience a lot of joy, even in the day to day, you're just going to be happy. And, and it doesn't matter if you have a bad day, you like, man, I, I just know that, that like things are going to be better. And like, I'm going to be able to get the big leagues when you start having injuries and you start struggling on the field and that's your hope, man, that hope seems to be slipping through your fingers and more and more and more, you're, you're just going to not experience the joy. And so for me, with all that being said, like I want to place hope in something that is secure and firm. And, and for me, that's God, honestly, like the, the, the hope that I have in eternity and the hope that, you know, when you look at, at scripture and you look at uh, what the Bible says about, you know, like humanity state and, and, and who God is and, and, and Jesus and Jesus coming to the earth, you know, it's like everything rests on the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ um, for the Christian faith. And so if none of that happened and none of it's true and Jesus is still buried in that grave, then there, I have nothing to hope for. But if, if it is true that Jesus did walk out of the grave, then I have, I have a hope that is secure and there's nothing that can, like there is no amount of pain or sorrow or anything that can strip that hope away. And, and so, you know, when you have a hope that is secure, it doesn't matter what happens in the day to day. You do your best, you try your best, you're gonna fail sometimes, you're gonna succeed. But at the end of the day, when you put your head on your pillow, you're going to have joy and you're going to have peace because your hope is secure. And, and, you know, I think joy is like one of the things that people want the most in life. And it's one of the hardest things to find. Um, and for me, that's, it's found only in God, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, people and you've... Hope, hope in things that are, are, are also good things and like really good things. And, and so you place your hope in your family or you place your hope in, in relationships and things like that. Um, you know, and people get to experience joy through that, but I think yeah, there's like I, an ultimate joy that can be found. Yep. And I, I know that you've had to rely on your faith during your career and everybody does. Um, because if you don't have faith and there's no point in you know, like continuing to go because the first time you fail, you're just going to quit and stop. Like, right. Yeah. You have to have faith in something, right? What, 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 whatever it is. And I know that you've had to rely on it a lot. And at the beginning of your career, um, you know, there was a lot of, you, you, 
lot of, lot of high hopes for you. You were supposed to be in the big leagues very, very quickly. Yeah. A lot of pressure on you. It wasn't the easiest road. You kind of got off to a little bit of a rough start. And like from the beginning, even before you even signed, like when you got drafted the year before, it was seemed like people were just, just kind of wanting you to fail. Like if you struggled a little bit, you know, you'd get blown up from the reporters, from the media, from your teammates, from coaches, all this stuff. Did you let that uh, affect you? Yeah, I think I did. Um, I, and just being honest, like, it, you know, I, I wish I could have said, man, no, I, I was just so rock solid. I was, you know, I had. Oh, dude, I was there. I saw it. Yeah. Like, it for sure would, it would, it would affect anybody. It, yeah, yeah, it for sure. And, and, you know, one of the things that's the hardest is, is even like when you know your teammates are like hoping you fail because it's a dog eat dog world in the minor leagues. And so it's like, Hey, if, you know, Mark was supposed to be this guy that's just like zoomed to the big leagues, but now he's in the mix and, and man, I, I might be able to, if I show I can be better than Mark, then, you know, that, that bumps my chances of making it. Right. And so, and I, and I understand that. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's tough to, to, kind of experience some of those things and maintain a faith. And I think my crisis of faith that I experienced at times was, was not whether I'd be able to make it or recover or bounce back. But sometimes I really felt like, you know, like, has God forgotten me? And, and are, are these moments, um, like, is, is there any redemption in these moments? You can you know, kind of get into a, a dark spot there too when that happens. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember when I was in Lancaster and, you know, I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor and, you know, we had a, a beach chair and that was our couch and, you know, you're in the desert. And I had seven games in a row where I didn't get out of the third inning and I had a, over like a 12 ERA. And, you know, this is less than a year after like <laughs> – my high of being drafted just a little just a little disclaimer for the list listeners uh lancaster california it's in the middle of the desert um like so it's hot the wind blows about and i'm not kidding you 20 to 50 miles an hour straight out to right center straight out the wind blows i've seen pop-ups where the second baseman ran to the outfield to catch it and the ball go over the fence like yeah, i gave him a, a very Broken, broken bat, bat home run. Yes, yeah. it is a very difficult place to play. Yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry, continue. Yeah, no, no, it's good clarification. Uh, I mean, I wasn't playing great anyways as it was. It just, you know, it's like when you give it, up broken it bat. Couldn't home run. Yeah. It couldn't have helped. It couldn't have helped. It couldn't have helped. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it, – it was just one of those things where you're kind of in these dark places and you, you start to wonder, it's that, you know, people – I bet many minor leaguers would consider, um, you know, Lancaster a God forsaken place. Right. But if you think about that, it's like, like God forsaken, like God has turned its back on Lancaster. Right. And, and so you're man, I'm in this God forsaken place. Am I God forsaken? Right. Has God forsaken me? And, uh, and where's the redemption in this? And, and, you always, you always see where the redemption is, you know, after the fact. And sometimes after the fact is the next day, sometimes after the fact is six years later. Um, and, and so it's, it's taken some time and, and wrestling with my faith, wrestling with God and, and um, going to him and expressing my doubts and, and understanding, man, I fail and, and I do all these things. But um, like the beauty of the gospel uh, 
uh, and which is like the foundation of the Christian faith is that it's not dependent on our ability to be faithful. It's a, dependent on God's ability to be faithful and God is always faithful. And so even when you're going through those moments, like being learning how to hold on so strongly to those promises, like that hope, right. That you can get through this and that God is going to redeem this, that if you continue to walk faithfully and to keep your eyes on him and to go to him, even when you can't hear him or feel him or experience him, like you just keep putting your head down and walking through it, that God will redeem that. And that there's, there's like just growth and maturity and character building and ultimately like being conformed to the image of, of God. Like you are, you're becoming more godlike when you go through those moments. And, you know, the Bible talks about it all the time of like trials going through trials and how it produces hope and joy and perseverance and character. Um, so that ultimately you'll be able to withstand just about anything. Um, and so that, that was Lancaster was kind of that year for me where it was like, okay, going from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. I don't think it was any coincidence that it was in the desert because I was in the desert, you know, and it was just very poetic in, in that sense. Um, but looking back, I'm thankful. And, and some of the, my greatest lessons in life and understanding how to have contentment and peace and joy come through those, those moments. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, we played together just, maybe like a month or so in that 2014 season. And I went up to double a and, um, had, had a lot of success there. I love, I love Corpus Christi. I know, I know you did too. I had a, I had a blast, but there was one time, I think it was like after a game, there was a picture going around and it was of the Lancaster locker room. And one of the lockers, the walls just completely destroyed. And we were all like, what's going on? What's going on? And everybody goes, Appel finally lost it. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Tell the people this story. Tell the people this story it. because it that, is it is you great. You said it. You said it exactly. I lost it. I lost it. Yeah. Um, no, that that stretch of like seven games where I was like brutal. I, you know, it was it was the day after my what twenty third or twenty second, twenty third birthday, something like that. And it was the day after. I was like, you know what? new year i'm a year older like new opportunity fresh start clean slate i'm i've struggled but you know kind of kind of building myself up like hey today's a new day like you know everything that happened in the past is in the past all that self-talk that doesn't really actually work (laughs) yeah you're like okay this is really gonna work uh I, i go to the game and um you know i do my warm up i'm focused i'm locked in um i go one in one third innings i give up like seven earned runs 12 hits i walk three like i hit two like i'm done right and and this is after this long stretch of really really bad games and um you know i think my best game was like five innings three runs i was like if i if i had that i'm like oh man man i really threw the ball well that day wow uh which is not a great game in a ball, uh, if you're trying to see in yourself as a potential big leaguer, but, uh, I, I get into the locker or into the dugout. Um, I wait until the, the innings over and I head up and like, I, I just don't really even know kind of 
like where I was at, I mean, it, it was kind of this surreal moment of like, what is going on? I'm, I'm like, I'm speechless. I'm at a loss for words. And it was like, all right, I, I need to yell. I need to just get this out. I need to yell. And I'm not really like a, a yeller uh, or like punch something, which I know all the, those guys that, you know, they punch things, they break their hand, they're out for a, a while. Um, and I was like, I, I just need to throw something. And um, uh, Roberto Pena had a, a big cardboard box full of baseballs that he, he would just collect from batting practice. He'd throw them up there. And at the end of the season, he tapes them up and he ships them down to uh, Puerto Rico. So he has all these balls to play with over the offseason. Anyways, I, I grabbed that box and I set it on a chair and I threw every single baseball um, that was in that box at this wall. And it was like this like, like panel. It looked like plywood, but it was really that like, like particle board or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like at this panel in between these two lockers and I threw every single ball crow hop across the locker room, just like peppering this wall. The first one I throw, I'm like, you know, it's probably coming out 95 miles an hour or more. And it just goes straight through this wall. And I'm like, wow, that felt really, really good. <laughs> I need to do some more of that. And I probably threw 80 or 90 crow hop as hard as I can just through this wall. And by the end of it, the, the wall was totally beat up, had like five different holes. There's just particle chips everywhere. Um, and afterwards I was like, it was like this surreal moment of, realizing that the game was still going on outside. No one was there. No one saw what was happening. Um, come to find out, I'll tell that story in a little bit that someone yeah. was there, yeah. but no, like, as far as I knew, no one was there. And it was just like this moment of I'm still alive. Like this, if this is as bad as it gets, like people have had it way worse. And like, there's no reason for me to not be thankful. Um, the, the next time that, I, you know, when I showed up at the field the next day, I was, um, I was like, it was like a new man. I was like, like, I'm just thankful to be here. I was trying so hard to get out of Lancaster that for the first time I was like, you know what, God has me here for a reason. So let me kind of bloom where I'm planted. Right. And let me actually develop relationships with my teammates and, and, and try to make other guys better and and stop being so self-focused and kind of in my head and all this stuff. And so, um, and yeah, and, and then I also like repaired the wall. And that was like a really cool like thing for me to do. Just because I was like, you know what? Let me go to Home Depot. Let me paint this up. Let me, you know, fix it and all this stuff and and repair it. And they let me do that. And man, it was it was like really therapeutic to be able to like kind of fix something that was broken. Cause I honestly felt like God was trying to do the same thing in me. Just like you fix like all you the were broken. broken. Yeah, fix yeah. all the broken pieces. And so um, it was great. Yeah. What happened after the game? I know Rodney, the, the manager that was there, he came in and, and saw it and you just said like, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll fix it. He just kind of said, yeah, Rodney like, was great. I mean, he, all he did was he just, he's like, Hey Mark, come to the office, you know? And, uh, I was like, Hey, yeah, sorry, Rodney. Sorry about your locker room. Uh, and he's like, he's like, no, man, I just want to make sure you're okay. You know? And, and Rodney's awesome. You know, he's, he's a great manager and I actually don't know where he's at, but I think he's gotten a couple of, ba- he's the uh, third, right? third base coach for the race. Yep. Yeah. It's awesome. You know? And so it's no surprise there, but uh, yeah, he was just like, I just want to make sure you're okay. You know, you're, 
you're a big part of this team and, and I understand how frustrated you are. And, um, you know, if you keep coming to showing up and, and working hard, like things are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. and, and that was, that was kind of the turning point for you too, because you started to get on a little bit better of a, of a role, um, starting to put up just a little bit better games and then came up to double yeah. a pitch really really good there was a game then in double a where you absolutely dominated the whole game gave up nothing went into the ninth inning this one i was closing i was i was pitching really really good and uh, this was just a time where i was rolling and um yeah i had to come in and clean up your mess but but oh but, but we but we still got the shutout though like i felt bad that you didn't get to my uh, uh my jam job leadoff double over the third baseman's head <laughs> Okay, the line. listen to this, though. So they, like, call down and they say, hey, um, if, if Appel gets into trouble, just get ready. So I start getting up, you know, like, just stretching. In Corpus Christi, it's like 143 degrees, 99% humidity. So, you know, it doesn't take very much. But literally the first pitch was, like, a little jam drop bleeder right over the, the uh, third baseman. So I'm just starting to throw, and they're like, hey, Bodie's going out. I said, what? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You're in the game. I said, buy me some time, something. So I threw like two balls and then I was in there and I was just like, man, why don't you just let him finish it? You know, like yeah. he could have got it, but yeah, you showed for not, what'd you give up? Like two hits. Yeah. That was the no second runs, hit of the game. Eight innings. Second, yeah. Second hit of the game is like those two hits, one walk, like 10 punchies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is just when you were, you know, starting to get back on a roll, went to the fall league, did pretty good. Next yep. year, went to AAA, but then you kind of got into some injuries and then you got eventually traded to the Phillies. But anyways, that's a whole other thing. How, so you thought that there was nobody in the locker room when you were just chucking BBs and just yeah. putting a hole in the wall? It was the second inning. Like, everyone's down in the – like, second inning's, like, the quietest time in the locker room. Um. But sure enough, like after I'm throwing, I'm just sitting there. I'm like reflecting on my life and I just hear the toilet flush <laughs> and, uh, and come to find out Josh Hader is, <laughs> he was taking a dump the whole time and he had finished 20 minutes before, but I, he's like, in his mind, he's like, there's a crazy man out there and I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm just going to ride this one out until I feel like it's safe to go out there. And so, was so I was funny. like, I was sitting here, I was sitting here and just like, like really, really kind of, I mean, like probably crying and things like that. And I was sitting in the chair that was like directly facing the bathroom. And like, sure enough, I like look up after the toilet flushes and Hater, like Hater and I make like eye contact. And then he just like puts his head down and just runs out the door and <laughs> goes down to the field. <laughs> and it was it was hilarious uh and i love what what he's been able to do with his yeah. career but, his uh, story about it is like so funny he said like you know, i was sitting in there i had to go to the bathroom and i was just done and then all of a sudden i just hear wham 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 and then he's just like so i just i just stood there you're like you're like i missed my opportunity i i can't go out now so he's like he had to wait for like 30 minutes in the toilet just until you got done and then he said i just i just got out of his way just bolted <laughs> uh so oh, funny God. so you when was the last time that you that you played a game when was your last game yeah last game was uh september of 2017 i pitched one game in the playoffs in triple a i was flying up there and if we won 
it was the last game of the re- regular season. If we won that game while I was flying up, then we would be in the playoffs. If not, then I'd be packing my stuff up and heading home. And so we won the game. I made it in the playoffs. And I, I, I came out of the pen and I had one inning. I want to say I like walked a guy, gave up a like infield hit, struck a guy out and then got a double play. And so was able to, to put a goose egg up on the scoreboard, but um, man, Velo was down. Uh, command was not there. Uh, like I was, I was hurting and I was struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at that point I kind of knew, I was like, okay, let's see how this off season goes. And, you know, I, I got, I got decisions to make because if I can't play, if I'm not fully healthy by the spring, it's like, I don't know what to do. You know, I can't go through a whole nother year of rehab and being in Florida you know, living in a hotel and being because you because family. you spent the almost the entire 2016 season on the on the DL, right? Doing yeah, I probably had nine or ten starts in 2016, and then maybe ten or twelve in 2017, and then was on the DL the, the rest of the year, uh, both those both those years. And so, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was tough. DL DL life is is not fun. It's I mean, you know, just you know as well as anyone. Um, and so it's, it's, it's tough, but, uh, I think I just realized, I was like, man, I, I, I have peace about my career. Like, I don't, I don't go to bed and, and say, I, I could have worked harder or I could have been a better teammate or anything like that. It's like, I gave everything that I had. I'm just hurt. And at this point, like I, if I'm going to play again, I need to get healthy, but I don't even know if I want to play again because I'm not doing, I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. I feel isolated. It's not, not healthy. getting to play. I'm just doing rehab every day. I'm away from all the people that I love. Um, and there are, there are great moments in those, in those times too. But I think the baseline of where I was, was just like really missing, missing the relationships that mean the most to me. And all those relationships are back in Houston. Mm-hmm. And so I made a decision to not come back to spring training and they put me on the restricted list, which basically means I'm restricted from, signing with any other team uh so they maintain my rights and uh and it was like hey we understand we know it's been kind of a tough go but um if you ever want to come back like let us know and so um that was almost to the day three years ago so it's been like three and a half basically three and a half years since i last played in the game and really closer to to uh three years and like 10 months because yeah. I was done like in, in May of 2017. And you're, uh, you're looking to get back and play this season, right? You're getting in shape, you're throwing, feeling good, finally feeling healthy. Yeah. Phillies still have your rights. So it's not like you have to go play at some crazy indie ball, which is not even look like they're going to have indie ball leagues with yeah. every, with all the minor league teams just get cut out and, which were the good indie ball teams are now affiliates. So there's not even really good, really good place to play, but, you're going to, you're going to go back with the Phillies and get back in it. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. In you. Yeah. I had uh that 2018 was kind of a year of, of new beginnings in a lot of ways, trying to figure out new things that I'm doing with my life, working different jobs and trying to figure out, man, what is who, like, who is, who is Mark Appel outside of the locker room outside of baseball. And, and I, I learned a lot that year, but at the end of the year, I was like, you know what? I still feel like I have something left to give and I just need to get healthy and figure that out. So I saw some doctors ended up 
having having shoulder surgery and basically rehabbed that all the way up until you know basically March of last year and was hoping to you know get back into minor league ball somewhere and then COVID happened and so I was like all right well let me put the brakes on on the whole recovery or, or at least the throwing keep keep kind of the workouts going and um and then you know we'll, we'll go from there and and so now I've been you know playing catch basically since you know late September uh kind of an extended slower off-season off program and it's looking like minor league camp will start whenever big league camp's done and should be like early April. So I still have a few months, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's kind of surreal for a while during the process. I didn't know if I could actually even get back. And, and now that I'm like throwing and long tossing and uh, going to start getting off the mound, you know, probably next week, um, just feeling really good. And so I'm, I'm like excited, um, excited to see what I can do and, and, you know, face hitters, it's going to feel, feel kind of foreign because it's mm -hmm. been a while, but, um, do nah, you try to, I'm, I'm excited. Do you, do you try to kind of forget like your, like your previous career, previous minor leagues, or do you just kind of roll, roll with the little things that you learn from it here and there and, yeah. and, and propel you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think it's just learning the little things, uh, using, you know, using the little things that I learned and, and trying to, um, yeah, I have a I have a good expectation of what minor league life life is like, but I also learned a lot, and I think I'm a, just a totally different person from when you know the first time I went through it, and so uh, yeah, I'm excited, and and part of it too is I don't feel any sort of expectation or pressure, you know, that I felt back then. It's like I still believe that I can I can make it, um, but at the same time, it's like there's no for me, there's no outside influence, expectation, pressure, um, and even internal expectation and pressure. Like the only expectation I have is that I just show up and I do my best and I enjoy every minute of it. Um, and I've been doing that basically since I had surgery. And so it's been, it's been a fun process and I'm excited to bring that kind of to the locker room and be part of the team again. Yeah. Sounds exciting. Sounds exciting. I know you were a big locker room guy, a big teammate guy, cared about all of all of your fellow fellow pitchers, fellow players, teammates, and that's the thing that like I'll probably miss most about baseball is just my relationships. You know, I don't think any of us are gonna miss all the bad times and like the grind and literally playing every single day. Um, but just like your teammates, just being in the locker room yeah. every single day, I know that you for sure missed it. How you've been away because. I think it's about enjoying like almost like and enjoying being in hell with your brothers. That's, it's kind of yeah. what it's like. Yeah. It's a little thing. It's, it's the card games around the table. It's, mm -hmm. you know, eating beans and rice after a, a big win. And yeah. uh, every you know, day <laughs> it's, it, it, it's the bus rides. It's the, you know, and, and you, you complain about all of it, because that's just what you're supposed to do. That, that, that is what you're supposed to do in the but, minor leagues. The, the biggest, like, biggest complainers ever. Yeah. Misery loves company though. And so it was like, if we're all in it together, it's like, we can probably have some pretty good times. So. Yeah, that's good, man. I wish you best of luck. Thank you for taking the time out to talk to me and, you know, for being honest about everything. Cause it's, it's hard to deal with what you've had to do. And I know that you've gotten the same questions, literally like your, like your whole career and you've handled it 
awesomely. Like I, I just want to give you props for like how you've handled it, how you've stuck to the person that you were. You never changed, kept your values the same. And, and yeah, man, I wish you all, all the success with the, with the Phillies next year. Man, I, I appreciate that. Thanks Tyson. It's good to see you again. You bet buddy.